Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to today's Output Podcast. We last week, so we are off or both back. Happy in Los Angeles in mid-May. Um, Sid, I want to make sure first I have you since we've had some technical problems the last couple of times we've done this. And are you there? Boy, I hope so. Yay, I can hear you. Well, it's probably the first time in a while it's, uh, <laughs> it's worked as intended. Now, don't worry. Another problem will arise before the next half hour is over. Don't worry about that. Well, we're in that weird time of the sports year. I mean, there's two NBA conference finals, although one of them, the Cleveland-Toronto thing, it seems like a foregone conclusion. Oklahoma City, Golden State's interesting. There's two hockey series that, that in my mind, are kind of not as interesting as hockey's stuff in the past because you, you do not have uh, big-name teams other than the Penguins really in it this year. Um, baseball's kind of just starting, and the football's, in their kind of the deadest time of the year. Kind of in some ways, this is one of the slowest times of the sports year, given uh, given how little seems to be going on on a daily basis. Well, how do you how do you call the Cleveland Toronto series a foregone conclusion when they've had one game in Cleveland? Cleveland won. Oh, it's going to be a Spurs crushed the Thunder in, in, in game one, and, and and the Thunder came back and won. Trust me, it's going to be a four-game sweep. Uh, Toronto's not very good compared to Cleveland, so yeah, we'll know. Well, we'll you know never know. Like what, what? You have uh, what? If Leicester can win the championship in England, uh, the the Raptors can win in the U.S. I guess that's true. Uh, although the Raptors are Canadian technically, so <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, can um, we rewind for a second? But, yeah, it seems like an odd that I know it often seems like February is the dullest time, but you have college basketball. You have, all, you, know, you have every college sport in the winter going on. You have full schedule of NBA, NHL. Now it just seems that every college sport's pretty much over except for some of their national championships. Uh, and you have basketball playoffs, which NHL, which are important, but you don't have this everyday thing. I mean, Cleve, Golden State played last night. Their next game's not till Sunday. You know, the typical TV schedule where they'll play back-to-back, for TV purposes, then they'll spend four days between games. So, Yeah, well, welcome to the NBA playoffs. Yeah, exactly. So today we're going to hit on a couple of topics. We're going to talk about a great um, victory by Chris Mosier in North Carolina. Chris is a transgender athlete who won a spot in the U.S. national team in duathlon. Uh, we're also going to talk about the one place where gay jokes are acceptable, and about something called hockey sauce that you still need to explain this to me so when we get to it. I'm still a little confused by <laughs> what the whole dust-up is. But let's start first with Chris. And, uh, you know, we've written about Chris for God, you know, for, for kind of as long as we can remember. You want to tell people a bit about what he did this weekend and why it was so important? Well, he's going to join us in a few minutes, so he can probably tell us a bit more. But um, Oh, he will. Okay. Uh, yeah. You've, you've, well, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. I he wasn't supposed anyhow, to be he's, on, so. He was. He wasn't supposed to, and then he was, and now he is. So, anyhow, well, Chris, good. We, well, why don't we? Let's, why don't we stop then, and we'll talk about this. <laughs> I want to hear about. Uh, we'll wait for Chris. This hockey sauce thing. Uh, Paul Bizanet, a former NHL player, um, 
dropped, cut his ties with a hockey lifestyle clothing company called Sauce Hockey. I keep calling it Hockey Sauce over something that was tweeted about uh, Sidney Crosby. And yet I couldn't find the actual original tweet. Um, I saw yeah, the link. Yeah, because they deleted the it. Site. But do you know what, exactly what they said? Well, from what I guess, so Sauce Hockey is apparently some clothing line for the, quote, hockey lifestyle, what, whatever that means. Lots of, lots of baggy shirts and pants, I'm sure, like most guys try to wear. Uh, and they posted some, they do a lot of on Twitter, they do a lot of you know, social media stuff, snarky comments, and they posted a picture of Sidney Crosby going into a locker room and made some reference to that demonstrating a transgender person trying to go into a bathroom. And and Paul Bissonnette saw it, and a few people saw it, I guess, and Bissonnette had a relationship with the company and said goodbye. And left the company and the company tweeted out that they agreed with him and they deleted the, the story. So it's, I can't find it, but that, but that was the content of it. It had to do with Sidney Crosby and calling him transgender and trying to use a, a men's locker room because of course he's a woman and you know, all the, the stuff that people, you know, straight guys like to throw at each other. Yeah. I was kind of wondering even what the joke was there in their minds. I'm not sure why Sidney Crosby is a woman. Because he's weak, I guess. I mean, that's <laughs> he's well, weak I mean, enough that's, that's, to to have scored the overtime goal in Game uh, Three of their uh, uh, game well, two of listen, their playoff. Oh, who, uh, that's the that's the only thing. I, I doubt they were saying that he's a, a, he's a strong, incredible, uh, virile athlete who who dominates other men. I mean, usually when there's some kind of allusion to gender identity and issues, straight guys mean. Uh, you're weak. So uh, that's that's all I can assume. I, I mean, I, it was a, clearly a stupid reference, and 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 I'm you know beyond being offensive, it wasn't even funny. Yeah, and good for uh, Paul to sort of uh, you know kind of step up and say this is not acceptable. I do think that this might be the this is the new frontier. It seems that. Um, homophobia, at least public homophobia, seems more on the way out. You don't see nearly as much stuff passed around on social media that's homophobic. We're seeing a lot more transphobic stuff. It seems that people find this whole bathroom thing just oh, wildly entertaining to post pictures of obvious, you know, men in obvious, you know, exaggerated women's clothes to, to sort of prove their point. And we saw it with the Kurt Schilling thing, which, you know, he has retweeted that photo, and we've seen it with this, and we've seen it with a lot of other cases. Yeah, well, I, you know, it's a, it's it's a crazy hot topic right now, and it's, you know, I was watching the news last night, and they showed some woman marching through a Target store, holding a Bible, screaming how Target was trying to get their children raped in the bathroom by perverted men, and how we need to all leave Target immediately and stop shopping there. Uh, people. It, it, it it's such a um this whole debate about this issue is such a reminder of how few trans people are out there and how few Americans know a trans person. I know a lot of gay guys who they might know of a trans person, but have they ever sat down and had dinner with somebody who's trans, had a conversation with them? I think most of my friends probably haven't, and and they're gay. So I think it's just 
just such a lack of understanding of what, what it is, even is to be trans or who these people are. Well, I was at a, my nephew's graduation last week in Pennsylvania, and some of my family has moved to North Carolina in the last couple of years. And it was interesting just to hear their take living there. That you know, a they they all said, "Gee, we've all gone to the, we've all used men's or ladies' room with trans people in the past. We just haven't known it." Um, and my brother, who was a career military man, who I wasn't sure what his views on that would be. He he made up a, a sign for the the one uh, bathroom that basically said, "Everybody allowed and except," and it had a, a Ravens helmet and a Bengals helmet, uh, you know, with X's through it because he's a big Steeler fan. And so he's a pretty conservative guy, and yet he even saw this whole argument as being just absolutely absurd. Um, and I talked to them about you know, the whole idea of boycotting North Carolina, and they're all for it, even though that may hurt the state, because they said it's the only thing that's going to change people's minds is to sort of you know, have the idea of you know, economic stuff and, and business um, be affected. So at least I was kind of proud of my family, and not that I maybe expected any different, but it was kind of at least good to hear, especially from someone who had been in the military, who I thought might have an interesting take on this, and he did not. So um, it was good to hear. And I think we have, uh, speaking of North Carolina, Chris, you on the line? Yep, right here. Great. Uh, we're on with uh, Chris uh, Mosier. So, um, Chris, why don't you introduce uh, Chris? Sid, why don't you introduce Chris and uh, set it us up? And <laughs> well, I, 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 hope our listeners, I hope our listeners... I hope our listeners all know who Chris Mosier is, the Team USA member for the the Sprint Duathlon and now Long Course Duathlon, who just this past weekend in North Carolina uh, earned a spot on the men's U.S. Long Course Duathlon team. He's going to be competing next month in Spain at the World Championship for the Sprint Duathlon. Uh, the Duathlon is cycling and running. Chris, why, why have you gravitated toward the, the, the duathlons? Uh, you know, I know that you've been a triathlete for a long time. What happened to the swimming? So I really enjoy the swimming piece of, um, I, sorry, I really don't enjoy the swimming piece of triathlon. No. <laughs> uh, that's exactly probably the reason why I've gravitated towards duathlon. I started off doing duathlon as sort of early season uh, tune-up races before it was kind of warm enough outside to swim. And I just found that I'm, I enjoy them more. I'm better suited for them. Um, I don't float. That's another thing. So, uh, yeah, I, I still do triathlons. I'll be doing the New York City Triathlon this year. I'll probably be doing some more Ironman races, uh, which I really enjoy. But um, generally speaking, uh, running and cycling suits me better. Chris has about negative about- 5% body fat, so it's not a surprise <laughs> that he doesn't float. <laughs> But talk about uh, what, what, how you qualified for this. This was a, a, an event in Cary, North Carolina, and you had a place like what was, what, was the, what was the goal there, and how did you have to, what did you have to place to sort of make the national team? Yeah, so the national team um, for this particular distance of race, what sort of happens is they choose a local race to kind of attach the national championship to. So it's not its own specific race in the same location every year. Um, For this one, it happened to be in North Carolina, and I'm pretty sure this was set well before uh, any sort of policies were in place there. And uh, so it was a a race of five miles running, 31 miles cycling, and then another five-mile run at the end. I had to place in the top 18 in my age group in order to make the team. 
and I ended up placing fifth. And in the and you finished, I think it was thirty seventh out of two hundred and twenty something uh, competitor in the men's division, right? Yeah, that's right. So what? Well, what Chris, was it? I mean, going go going to North Carolina, what? What was in your head, you know, as as you're flying down there, as you're, you know, I assume you 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 spent an evening or two there. I mean, did you feel different being there in that environment, given what's happened in the state over the last couple of months? You know, I really felt it leading up to the race. Uh, I I definitely had a, a some some thoughts um, in the last two weeks before the race, thinking about what would it be like to be there. And there was a USA Today article that came out about my sort of, um, you know, my feelings, my maybe a little bit of anxiety, a little bit of nerves about going there. Um, and, you know, after that came out, you know, USA Today, I thought, there's my picture in the paper saying that I'm going to North Carolina, that I'm a trans person, and that I'm nervous about it. So I think when I got there, I actually had maybe a little bit more elevated um, anxiety than I might have had I not done that article because I thought, okay, if people didn't know me before, there's a better chance maybe that they know me now. Uh, a lot of the local news organizations, uh, Raleigh and um, Carrie, picked up the story and wanted to talk to me prior to the race. And I was kind of just turning everybody down because I didn't want to get too wrapped up in it. I think this time I made the fatal mistake of driving from New York City to North Carolina. So I kind of had this very slow um, easing into, um, you know, into the area, and I made the decision to get groceries, gas, everything that I needed before I crossed the state line. I didn't want to give another dime to North Carolina, you know, besides my hotel. So I, I basically went to my hotel the night before, went to the race, went back to my hotel, and left as soon as I could, and that was my sort of my trip there. It was kind of unfortunate because I don't think my competitors were really, you know, having to worry about that. Uh, not that I want people to have to worry about it, but I definitely felt uh, somewhat at a disadvantage because it was another mental sort of block that I had as I was approaching the race. Um, any bathroom problems? No, no bathroom problems. You know, porta potties are are gender neutral, so that's pretty, yeah, <laughs> pretty I was, much I was the race situation. Do yeah. most of your competitors, Chris, know that you're uh, transgender? I mean, is there a general awareness, or just certain, you know, people you're close with? No, I don't think that I don't think that most folks do. If I just go to some random race, um, that it's it's not something that uh, you know. Well, one, it's uh, it will be on my Team USA uniform. Actually, it'll say transathlete.com, but um, it's not something that is you know, folks would be like, ah, oh, that's the transgender athlete. Um, I have been in the media a little bit more, and I think that's that's been a very positive thing. Um, Outsports has always, of course, been very good to me. Um, and using that as sort of a, a springboard, uh, there has been a couple of more things that came out. And specific to triathlon, I was in one of the, the two big glossy magazines recently with a really nice spread. So there may be more competitors who know me now, but um, you know, typically speaking, it's, you know, I'm not like uh, someone that folks point out when I'm there. I did have an interesting experience actually in North Carolina that somebody came up to me while I was in the line to get my race packet and uh, said, you're Chris, right? And I really had this like very tense moment, um, which I don't think I would have had at any other race that I 
that I go to, I probably would have thought it was a friend or a friend of a friend or someone I met before. But this time I think, you know, I was like, what does this person want? You know, here I am in a somewhat vulnerable position. Um, and it, it actually ended up being someone who read the articles and was there um, to race and was really supportive. So it was really a, an actually very positive experience. Have you felt either you know, people in the in the triathlon world engaging other outside of the media engaging you in conversations about these things at all, either away from the races? I mean, when you go to a race, you, you, they're thinking about the race. Um, but have have they engaged you at all in conversations about this kind of stuff, or either positively, or have you felt the cold shoulder at all from people? I don't think that I've felt the cold shoulder. Um, there's not, there hasn't been a whole lot of conversation around it, but there's certainly been a, a level of acceptance within the triathlon community that I've been really, really pleased with. Um, I think that USA Triathlon, which is the governing body for uh, United States, has been you know amazingly supportive of me. Um, they have uh, you know reposted when I made Team USA. Like what I would say was. Uh, pretty big show of public support on social media, which I definitely was not expecting. And uh, I've won awards through the organization for my service to the sport. And in the videos that they made, you know, they mentioned that I'm an openly transgender athlete and talk about my organizations and my affiliations. So I think just for them to be so open and public about it really sends a message that the sport is very inclusive. And I really haven't had any issues with competitors either. Um, you know, everyone that finds out um, who you know goes to my Facebook page um, has been very supportive. So it's it's actually been I've had a, a very blessed experience in multi-sport. Uh, given the backlash to HB2, do you think that there is as bad as these laws are a certain silver lining that more and more people are becoming aware of the issue or having, you know, people like Bruce Springsteen boycott a concert, uh, the Obama administration has issued sweeping rules about it. Do you think in some ways there's been a counter to this, to these awful laws that, that might in the long run be a positive because it raises visibility of trans issues, or am I just hoping? Uh, you know, I think it, it will have a positive outcome. And, you know, I think that you're not just hoping. As, as we see, like, so, you know, what's happened with um, homophobia in sports, right, with homophobia in men's pro sports and the sauce hockey incident, for example, when you have something like, um, you know, we've we've swung the, the pendulum over to say that this is not socially acceptable, right? You can't act like that. You can't say these things. And people generally know that that folks can't, uh, you can't go about and discriminate against people. So I think that we have this strong push against it right now from folks who are saying, no, we've actually become too liberal. We we can't let everyone here have the rights, right? <laughs> so we're at this point where you know something is going to have to give. And I really think that if you if you step back and look at it, I mean, there's just I would like to believe that there's no way that we can move our country forward in the path of discrimination. Right and of saying that that's okay. So I really think that it will sort itself out, and in a positive way that creates safer spaces for trans people. Uh, you know, until then we're just going to have to struggle through, you know, some of these horrible policies, these horrible states for trans people to live in, and for trans athletes to be in. Um, you know, we we see it at the high school level that we have several states that don't allow trans athletes to play and participate fully as themselves. 
I think all of that is going to change because it's going to come to a point where it's just no longer acceptable. You know, it's interesting about discrimination. I think that anti-LGBT people are now trying to find little corners of society where they can discriminate. So, you know, the House just um, rejected an amendment that would have prevented discrimination um, with federal contractors, and they want to be able to discriminate in a bathroom, and they want to be able to discriminate in a church. Like They're, they're trying to find the little safe havens for discrimination and, and carve them out in our society because I think pretty much the general society is saying, no, we're, we're, we're not good with this discrimination stuff anymore. So now they're like really trying to find these little corners of society where they can even hang on to the past and, and hang on to the bigotry. Um, yeah, but, and I think you're it, you're right on there. It's it's not the general population, right? So that it's it's the it's the people in the power positions that are really pushing this forward. When I was in North Carolina, I did not get the sense that this is a people's policy, right? I didn't think that people were out hunting trans people. I really think that this is something that folks in the higher positions are creating this culture of fear and therefore a culture of violence against a group that they just hand select. Yeah, well, well, and we saw it in Indiana when it was just briefly when Indiana passed that 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 law last year. The people in the state rose up against it. We, I was in Indiana for the Final Four, and every single person I met in Indianapolis talked to waitresses and and grocery store clerk. Everybody just said, "Oh, I'm totally against this law. This is I don't know a single person who's for it." So, so to your point, it was really the the power brokers in the state capital, but the people in the state capital said, "This is ridiculous." Mm-hmm. Well, but also what happened in North Carolina is the, is the whole bathroom issue becomes the wedge by which these things pass because that law is not just about what bathroom can you use. That law stripped protections from LGBT people throughout the state in areas of employment discrimination, in areas of housing. It prevented cities from passing their own ordinances, and it made workers' claims even based on race and age, nothing to do with sexual orientation, a lot harder to prove because they had to argue it in federal court, which is a lot more spent, expensive and time-consuming. And yet the bathroom thing was the, was the wedge these people use to sort of scare people. It's what happened in Houston with their defeat of their, of their LGBT ordinance. And so trans people are the kind of the latest boogeyman that everybody could sort of point to. And yet it kind of, it's like a Trojan horse that hides all these other terrible parts of this law. So I think that's what's even more odious about it. It's a way to sort of pass all sorts of things while sort of while marginalizing a group of people that they that the people who pass these laws still think are you know not acceptable. Absolutely, we're talking about bathrooms and locker rooms, but we're not at all talking about the housing discrimination, the employment discrimination, and uh, public accommodations, other other areas where trans people are experiencing violence and discrimination. So yeah, you're right on. Well, you know, one of the last, um, when you head to Spain next month, you're going to be, well, I don't know, joined by Christina Carl, but ESPN is putting some resources into covering you and sending a, one of their trans editors to go and really and cover you. How, When you heard that ESPN was going to do that, uh, how did it make you feel beyond having Christina there, who I know is a, a friend and, and longtime supporter? Yeah, I'm obviously thrilled that Christina will get a chance to come, and uh, it'll be great to have somebody there, you know, who I know who's supportive. Uh, I think it's I think it's amazing. Um, 
you know, I've, I've felt that there has been uh, not as much visibility for trans athletes as I would expect that there would be with all of the changes that are happening and the controversies and things like that. So, um, you know, the fact that you know, there's going to be positive coverage of this moment in history, um, I'll be the first trans man to compete on a men's U.S. national team internationally. I'll be, as far as we know, the first trans athlete to compete under the new IOC regulations passed last year, which you all you know, exposed in January. So, yeah, I think it's it's going to be a big moment, and I'm I'm really grateful that they're going to you know put a little bit of uh, spotlight on it to to raise the profile and the visibility for trans athletes, because what this actually does is particularly in an Olympic year, um, you know it, it, I think that it gives hope to other trans athletes, and that's at least what I hope that it does, is that somewhere out there there's kids who are just starting to play sports, and we know that to be an Olympian to be a, a world-class athlete, it takes a long time to hone your craft and to participate and, and get the skills. And now there's kids out there who are falling in love with sports who can fully participate as their authentic self and really you know, make it to that level in the future. So I think it's awesome. I'm really grateful for ESPN, both for the profile they did in October and for the upcoming coverage, and I hope that there's a lot more of that to come. Well, Dan and I booked a trip to, to Europe a year ago, and if I had known that you'd be in Spain at the time, I would have made sure that, uh, that I would have been in Spain. That, that would have been neat, but I will be on the other side of the continent. Uh, well, none of us actually knew I would be there for real until January. So, Right. Yeah. Uh, well, Chris, stay on for the last few minutes. We're going we're to segue to a different topic that deals mostly with gay men, but we'd like to get your uh, impressions uh, there's a new book out by uh, two baseball writers who were given free reign to run a minor league team using analytics and sabermetrics. And one of the people they discovered was um, Sean Conroy, who turned out to be gay. They didn't know it at the time when they, when they selected him. Sean went on to have a great season and came out prior to the, the Pride Night. And these guys have written a book um, about building the team, and they had a chapter on Sean that was excerpted in, in Slate magazine, and one of the fascinating things they talked about was how after he came out, the language in the locker room became, they said, almost Victorian. And Sean felt uncomfortable because the guys were not joking anymore like they used to joke because they were walking in eggshells. And he wound up feeling totally accepted when they start teasing him about gay things in sort of a caring kind of accepting way. Uh, and Sid, I know we've talked about that with a lot of other athletes, that, that it's almost like this is the one area where telling, for want of a better word, quote-unquote gay jokes is a sign of acceptance because it means your teammates are totally cool with you and they can joke about you the way they joke about kind of everybody else on a team. Well, do people, do other trans athletes, do other triathletes and do athletes joke around with each other, Chris? I mean, is there an individual sport like that? Is there, is there even the opportunity for people to do that? No, we're so serious. Uh, we we have no <laughs> jokes at all. No, actually, um, I it is an individual sport, but I'm on several teams and I coach a lot of athletes. I think the difference is that I'm outside of a gym, and so I don't really get that true locker room experience. Um, mm-hmm. But I would agree that the moment of acceptance, and this is is not about being a trans athlete, but being a queer athlete, um, would be to have someone tease me about my relationship in the same way that they would tease anybody else. 
right, or about the people who I like. And I think that that's what the point of this is, is right, is, is, is getting to there's that level of acceptance where it's not a matter of being gay. It's a matter of I can, te- I can joke with you about your relationships and, and you, how good or bad you are with women or men or whoever, just like I would tease anybody else. And I think that's yeah, I think that's what it is. They 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 will make fun of somebody else's fashion sense or music sense or the way they look. I mean, you know, uh, uh, team sports have that dynamic, and everybody has weird nicknames and stuff. And as these uh, these two writers uh, noted in the book, that anywhere else this would probably be grounds for a lawsuit. You know, these they said grounds for a lawsuit or at least a sensitivity seminar. But in baseball, it seems that for Sean, this is what his his moment of acceptance was this sort of like, this kind of language. And so I do think it was kind of an interesting take on that. Well, it is funny that teasing can be the the the, um, the source of incredible pain for LGBT people. It can also be a source of incredible pride for LGBT people. So it's so much of it just with, with you know, the use of slurs is, is the tone. Well, that's all. Sorry, we have to running out of time. Chris, thank you so much. Good luck in Spain, and I know we'll, we'll be all hearing about it. And uh, don't have too much sangria before the Thanks race. Thanks for having me. <laughs> thank okay, you. That's all the time we have. Um, we will be talking to you next week. <laughs>